Hey, nerds, really cool announcement before we get started. As you heard last week, we had an anonymous donor contact us, and they are donating $500 to our local Legend Comics and coffee comic book store to help them through this COVID-19 crap that we're all suffering through. They have also offered to match your donations to your local comic book store, be it Legend or wherever you are. All you need to do is send us a PayPal receipt that shows you made the donation so we can check that the comic shop is real and they will match another $500. They're doing this all for the month of May. So give until it hurts, and let's save our local comic book shops. You can send your receipts to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject, LCS Donation. This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to twoheadednerd.com and click Donate, or visit patreon.com backslash twoheadednerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the quarantine cigarette at Omaha, deep below the metro area. We are not leaving anytime soon because it's not safe, not just because of COVID, but there's all other manners of beasts and creatures down here that we have problems with. Yeah. And they're all sick, too. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 573 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, it's a celebration of lady power. That's right. As we shine our review spotlight on female heroes and creators. After that, it's up to the THM Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're going to tell you all about what we're reading next week. I'm going to give you a hint. It's fuzzy. Gross. Yeah, I know, right? And finally, I'm going to sit down with Legend Comics and Coffee co-owner David DeMarco to talk about LCS survival during COVID-19. But before we affirm our status as liberal snowflake crybabies in the eyes of comic skaters everywhere, let's share our SJW opinions of this week's nerd news. Nerd news? Yeah, actually, you should be like, I believe the term nerd is not acceptable anymore, and uh, we should just go with news. We're social justice warriors now. (laughs) (laughs) While day and date print and digital comics will resume from Marvel on May 27th, the publisher has announced that some of its titles will switch to digital only starting today, May 13th, via Marvel Digital and Comixology. Sorry, that pause was because I had to check the date. <laughs> that was weird. I was like, what What just happened? Just had to look at my phone for the date. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seven current titles as well as one upcoming new launch title, all of which started or were scheduled to start as single print issues, will now go digital first for serialization, with Marvel planning to compile the digital editions in print collections later. That means trade paperbacks not single issues. Yep. The, the eight titles going digital first are the ongoing Ghost Spider and the limited series Ant-Man, Avengers of the Wastelands, Ravencroft, Star, Marvel's Spider-Man, The Black Cat Strikes from the Gamerverse, Hawkeye Freefall, and tw- Ironheart 2020. Okay, so let's let's talk about that list real quick here because none of these 
are huge sellers at Marvel. No, in fact, I would I would assume they are very low sellers. Yes, that's where I was going to go with this. And I, I there's a, going to be people that are decrying this as the death of, you know, the comic book and everyone's moving to digital and whatnot. I don't think that's what's happening here at all. So let's settle down, take a little breath, and really look at these titles. They don't sell real well. And Marvel... Yeah, I don't think that's it, though, man. I don't think anyone's going like, this is the end of comics. I think it's like, hey, I bought the first four issues of Hawkeye in print, and now I'm not going to get the fifth one? That's the next place I was going to go with that. Therein lies the bullshit, especially with something like 2020 Ironheart, which is part of a crossover. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, that's weird if anything i don't think this is necessarily like marvel making a push to push everything digital and no more paper comic books but this is a weird place to decide to do this in response to i don't know if it's covid or bad sales or a mixture of both or a global pandemic just seemed like a good excuse uh, for uh, these stinker books that aren't i mean selling very well I- well, I, I, I think if you want to cynically look at it, you can say that the pandemic was a good excuse to cut and run on these titles. Yeah. But. That's certainly what it looks like. I do think it is a response to the idea that, like, not every shop is going to be up and open and available yeah. to sell. And so trying to put these out in print is going to cannibalize their already low sales. Absolutely. I I, I think that's part of it, too. Now, do we know? Is any of this returnable at this point? If, if you've made, like, because there's issues of this that are in reprint and whatnot. Is this returnable if they go, well, never mind. We don't want this shit since you're switching these other ones to digital? Well, I mean, I don't believe, uh, things may have changed, but uh, typically books are only returnable if uh, they are specifically made returnable by the publisher or if the contents of a book that come out, that comes out are substantially different than what was solicited. Right. If a book starts and is canceled midstream, that's not really grounds for returnability. But I mean, like, if it's not coming out in print anymore, is it canceled? <laughs> you know, yeah, you know like, what I'm saying? It, <laughs> like, sure, right. Does it, does, it count right. As, does it count as being canceled if they're putting it out digitally and then later right. in a trade? I, I mean, I, the obvious answer is no. Right. If I kill you and your ghost shows up and yells at me, you are still yelling at me. It's just your body's not here, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, if, I, if I'm in the Matrix, kung fu fighting and, and whatnot, but my physical body is just laying in a chair somewhere and doesn't do anything... Have I been canceled? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, I like where you went with that metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's dumb. It, it, it's dumb and it's shitty. But at the same time, maybe this does lift some of the load off comic shops that ordered it and they weren't going to be able to sell it anyway because orders are going down and they don't know if they can reopen. Like, I can kind of see both sides. I just think this is a weird place to do it in the middle of some of these series. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I agree. Like, Ghost Spider was ongoing. They could have just said, canceled. Right. Or or now it's digital first, whatever. But the minis, the minis sting. Better. You know, maybe that's even better for these books rather than just being like, nope, canceled. Tie it up, writer. They're like, look, if you're a fan, yes, it continues online. Feel free to read it there. But you know know how fickle comic fans can be? Like, if they had already shelled out cash money for hard copy editions 
of several issues of these books. Of course. And then they're not getting them. And at the same time, they're not going to be like, you know what? That digital issue number three was so good. I think I'm going to go buy the physical copy of number four. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, like it yeah, goes both no, ways. it's true. It's like, <laughs> I, like, yeah, on the flip side, it's like, are you really so desperate to have a complete run of uh, hmm, Marvel's, Marvel's Spider-Man, the Black Cat Strikes? Right. In your collection that, like, you're mad about not having physical copies? <laughs> Right. I I don't know. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg, who writes Hawkeye Freefall, you know, he he made a pretty good case about how, like, it just, it doesn't make sense in the current, uh, in the current uh, situation to force these books out in print. I get that. Because they're just not going to have the support that they did when things were normal. Sure. I get that. And Uh, maybe it is better that the fans who do like this, this stuff get to read it yeah i mean i can understand how some fans might be bummed about it but any anything that kind of like you said lightens the load is probably a good thing right now right now it probably is joe patrick from the rock desk Dwayne the desk johnson the rock what are you making a joke there yes i made a joke instead of saying from the Dwayne johnson desk i said from Dwayne the desk johnson oh i see what you're doing ha that's funny it is funny this is Joe Patrick's joke. Eat my shorts. Again. Eat so my shorts. See how, let's see how Joe Patrick's joke lands. I'm going to leave all this in. From Dwayne the Desk Johnson. Get it? That's not how you would normally deliver that joke. Okay, anyway, The Rock and Emily Blunt are reteaming to co-star and co-produce Ball and Chain based on the Scott Lobdell homage Wildstorm four-issue limited series from 1999, according to the deadline. Everybody remembers Ball and Chain, right? Sure. The project is being shopped to studios, including Netflix, but so far hasn't closed a deal. Thumbs up. (laughs) No news yet, but the news is there's some news. The adaptation will reportedly be written by Oscar nominee Emily V. Gordon, who worked on The Big Sick. The comedic Ball and Chain, which was drawn by Ale Garza, follows a bickering couple who receive superpowers and only work if they can learn to put aside their differences and work together. Until I read that part of the news story, I did not remember this at all. But then it kind of flooded back to me. Yeah, I remembered it when I saw the cover. Yeah, and I went back and I read a bit of the first issue and I was like, okay, I get this. And it's clever. You know, it's it's a clever idea. I don't remember reading the whole thing. Nope. I think it could be fun. And I hope these creators who created it get some money if this happens. Yeah. Obviously, Netflix and not just Netflix, but Hulu, everybody is mining comic books right now for content with the success of stuff like the Umbrella Academy and uh, Doom Patrol, which was just announced. Season two is going to be on HBO Max. And then 15 minutes later, they went, oh, yeah, it's on the DC app, too. <laughs> Sorry. No, that, that was announced from the get-go. It's not a new development. No, I know, but they announced a date today. And there was, like, a tweet that came out that's like, hitting HBO Max this day. And then people were like, what about the DC app? And then 15 minutes later, hitting HBO Max in the DC app this day. <laughs> they had already announced it was going to be on both platforms, but yes. yeah, they didn't announce a date. And like everybody freaked out when they only announced HBO Max today, which I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, sure. If nothing else, this stuff, it sounds weird. Like really, they're going to make a series out of that. At least comic creators are getting paid. If nothing else. And I think, honestly, this sort of concept is tailor-made for a 
uh, you know, TV movie or short series. Definitely. You know, and, uh, you know, The Rock and Emily Blunt, they're charming leads. They, they, are, uh, they are supposed to be in the Jungle Cruise movie based on the Disney theme park ride. I cannot wait. Uh, oh, my God. Which has not and may never come out. Right. <laughs> also, we need to consider, like, when they say no one's picked it up yet, that would that doesn't necessarily mean that The Rock and Emily Blunt are 100% on board for this. I think maybe they've expressed interest. Let's see where it goes. Who's going to pick it up? <laughs> you know? I don't know, man. This is pretty de- pretty definitive language. Well, that's what they say, and they're trying to get it out there probably to drum up some interest. Be like, oh, Netflix is interested? Let's throw some money at it. Well, because they're not only starring in it, they're also producing it. It, it, it. I think that if it were more nebulous, they would say they are in talks. I suppose. But then again, they might just end up being produced by The Rock and Emily Blunt. <laughs> you know? We'll see. I mean, it's a it's a cute concept, and I do yeah. think that like it's it's the sort of like kind of feel-good superhero adjacent comedy that you know would be a pretty big hit right now yeah Um, i think emily blunt's too good for the rock though i mean it's ridiculous he's just not her type she's smart she needs a john krasinski i beg your and i don't want to see her with anyone else i beg your fucking pardon the rock they have children they have an adorable family and they should just put them both in the show okay joe patrick the people's champion is a charming human being nobody loves the rock more than me all right but emily and john are gorgeous together they're actors matt they're acting. I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> From the Vertigo Ain't Dead Yet desk, Robert Downey Jr.'s planned Sweet Tooth series adaptation has jumped from Hulu to Netflix. Netflix also announced the ensemble cast. Christian Convery, who is a wee baby child, will play the lead character, Gus, joined by James Brolin as the narrator. Others cast in the as-yet-unspecified roles are Will Forte, Nonzo Anozi, and Adil Akhtar. Nonzo Anozi and Adil Akhtar don't make bad films. <laughs> I mean, nothing against them. I've just never heard of them. No, they might be great. I've just never heard of them either. Yeah. You know. uh, back in November 2018, it was reported that Hulu had ordered a pilot from the RDJ-produced Sweet Tooth show working with Warner Brothers Television with Hap and Leonard co-creator Jim Mickle writing and directing. I don't know what Happen Leonard is either. Happen Leonard was a show that got a lot of publicity. Like people loved it and I tried to watch it and like, I didn't think it was bad, but I also never really got hooked. I very much liked both actors that were in it, but like it just never roped me in. You mean both Hap and Leonard? Yeah. I liked Hap and Leonard in it. They both had good performances. (laughs) Uh, It is unknown if Mickle or WBTV will be involved in this new iteration of the project. We talked about this a while ago when it was first reported and we were both just very happy that it's not a movie because Sweet Tooth is too big to be a movie. And I'm very, very happy that we're doing a TV series. This it, not to mention the fact that there's some major names behind it. Robert Downey Jr., I assume, doesn't put his name behind a project. Well, then again, we did just get that piece of shit Dr. Doolittle movie, I guess. <laughs> did that movie actually come out? It came out. It came out and with a resounding thud. Uh. <laughs> yeah, nobody cared. But this should be amazing. Sweet Tooth is an incredible story that Joe and I have screamed about for years. Gut-wrenching story of a young human-deer hybrid boy navigating the perils of a post-apocalyptic world. It Jeff Lemire wrote and drew it. 
all of these are still available from DC, although they might be coming out from DC Black Label now. I don't fucking know. Who knows? But go and read Sweet Tooth if you haven't. It is an incredible series. It was my first introduction to Jeff Lemire. I think probably yours, too. Um, No, I think I'd read some of his graphic novels, but... But yeah, definitely early Lemire. Man, incredible stuff. Uh, the the most exciting news I think about this development is that Lemire took this opportunity to announce his plan to revive the series at DC. I love it. God, I love it. DC Black Label Sweet Tooth. Oh, I can't wait to see the dear kid's dick. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> uh, obviously, the original ran for 40 issues from 20. Uh, pardon me. The original ran for 40 issues from 2009 to 2013 uh, through the Vertigo imprint. But Lemire has yet to detail uh, specifics about the revival other than the title Sweet Tooth colon The Return. There you go. Which seems a little dramatic. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, there's plenty of stories to be told there. I'm sure the way, no spoilers, but the way they left it off, it's still wide open. More stuff could definitely happen. It wasn't like, and then the world ended the end, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. The deer kid got really mad, broke the earth in half, and everybody died. <laughs> you know? That's a strange, strange it direction. Was crazy. Jeff. He was so small too. Nobody saw it coming. No, I'm <laughs> super excited for this. And I like the show, The Return of Sweet Tooth. This is fantastic news. Uh, I am so happy for a creator like Jeff Lemire for breaking through and getting a deal like this so we can finally see some of his stuff on TV and he can make some real money. Congratulations, Jeff. This is awesome news. It's all about the money for you. That's right. Yeah! 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 That's your nerd news for the week. But I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while having a good cry with our old sweet tooth pog set. Joe, I'm sorry about my slammer knocking all your little pig girl pogs off. Uh. I'm taking them home. <laughs> Hit us up in the THN forums, big news section, or any of our social media outlets and talk to us about these stories. Everything else that we totally missed. It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat, and this week we dipped into our cosmic long box to review eight comics featuring female-driven stories and female creators. Matt, ladies first. I'm going to start off with my favorite iteration of Captain Marvel. This is from a really weird time in Carol's life. She had just come off Avengers 10. You should probably announce the issue and the title before you get it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Let's give a little background to how she gets to where she is now. All right. All right. Because she just come off Avengers annual number 10, where rogue took her powers. Right. And she was all messed up. So she starts hanging out with professor X because rogue is a mutant. And professor X is like, I feel really bad. Let me help you out. She's lost all her memories. She, she set her memories that got sapped. She was also kidnapped by Immortus and forced to give birth to his son, Marcus, who vaguely fell in love with her. (laughs) That was before rogue though. That was before Rogue. But then, I mean, this is a traumatic time. <laughs> so here we are in the pages of Uncanny X-Men 164, the first appearance, the first appearance of Binary from Marvel 1982. Her story is so weird that somebody actually suggested that we feature her on a future installment of This Is Your Life. <laughs> After reading about 
how like you have to keep in mind i was a kid when i read this and i loved it and this is how i knew carol this is the only way i really knew her because i wasn't reading the avengers at the time and i was like oh man that character's crazy i really like that outfit though and she's hanging with the star jammers she's a badass cool I would love to do <laughs> like a deep dive after reading how she got here. After Carol got ambushed by Rogue, had her powers stolen. She's hanging with Professor X. She's recuperating. They're in space with the X-Men on the run from the brood. This is the part of the Claremont and Cockrum run, and the art is excellent. Dave Cockrum, his Nightcrawler is still what I picture whenever I think of that character to this day. So Love this it. is after John Byrne's run. Yes. Uh, if you look back in your comics history, Dave Cockrum was the original artist right. of the all new, all different X-Men. John Byrne took over and then Dave Cockrum came back. This is Cockrum volume two, basically. Cockrum volume two. X, the X-Men are on the run in Lalandra's space limo. She is the Shiar Magistros, and at the time, she was Chuck X's main squeeze, too. They're being chased by living shark ships full of brood. The Akanti. <laughs> and every one of them, every one of the X-Men is having serious issues with the idea of killing the brood. Colossus goes so far to, like, just almost start crying about it. He's like, I just can't, man. I don't, like, I just don't kill. It's not my thing. The only person who, of course, wants to slaughter them is Wolverine. Carol has this amazing Farrah Fawcett feathered hair <laughs> and a yellow unitard on. She looks so hot. Oh, and by the way, all the X-Men go out of their way to talk about how hot Carol is every chance they get. <laughs> it's crazy. Hey. The brood had captured Carol, but instead of infecting her, they subjected her to evolutionary modification <laughs> which sounds bad right yeah the ship gets damaged kitty puts on a spacesuit she's out in space like a total badass fixing the ship and of course gets hit with some shrapnel like why not just stay phased most of the time you know <laughs> but anyway turns out the brood's experiment bumped into carol's cree genes and she's been feeling a little weird lately and just as the ship is under attack she turns into binary this like flaming space woman and she looks so awesome carol uses her new cosmic abilities to fire up the batteries on lalandra's ship like i said this is the first time i met the character so i just didn't know any better and i thought this is the coolest character ever now, I didn't think it was a little weird when Nightcrawler tells Carol, she's a mutant now. You should join the X-Men. Like, she's a mutant because she's half alien? Is that what's going on here? And does that make every alien a mutant? <laughs> nah, he just, don't, he just don't know no better. Okay. Oh, and then in the end, Carol freaks out because the X-Men are still having trouble what to do with the brood. So she freaks out, punches a hole in the ship, and sucks all the X-Men into space. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This is more just completely bonkers Chris Claremont X-Men. And I don't know how he got a hold of Carol Danvers and they let him do this, but I fucking loved it. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I mean, they had basically written her off after Avengers Annual. Uh, uh, she had a run as a as a main member in the very very early eighties, uh, and then they did that whole that whole storyline you mentioned where she accidentally gets I don't fucking know impregnated raped I guess 
impregnated by her own future son. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the and whole thing. It just, it, this again, it's bad. Of like a meeting where somebody was like, you know what? Fuck this character. I hate her. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's bizarre is that DC did the exact same thing to Power Girl in the 90s. Mm hmm. Before somebody, before somebody Grant Morrison's JLA on, reboot, full on like mad on for Power Girl, yeah. and I, I think it was friggin' uh oh my god I can't say his name Dan DiDio I think it was Dan DiDio this was before he, Dan DiDio this was no, this was, was in the, this was in the early nineties this was years was around at the time DiDio. wasn't he no 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 yeah no this was this was I I can't even tell you I like it's such a baffling direction to go with a character like if you don't like a character just don't put them in the book totally like chris claremont went and like found the sausage grinder and scooped up the sausage that was carol danvers <laughs> and was like is anybody gonna use this and they're like yeah just throw yeah, it yeah. away and he's like yeah okay, yeah totally so. yeah yeah like <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge go ahead new guy ha 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 no uh, i loved this yeah it's it's so great to me this is the this is peak x-men this is peak oh, yeah. Claremont X-Men. Like, I love the burn run, but this kind of era, this this post-burn era is where we got, like, Lockheed came from this. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, all like, kinds of weird alien shit. Yeah. And, like, pe people complain, not a lot of people, idiots complain that, like, the X-Men have gotten too weird. They've gotten too weird. This whole thing with the island and everything. What the fuck ever, man? Yeah, Charles Xavier was dating a bird woman. The mansion got blown up and yeah. bird woman's robot yes. rebuilt it for him. The like. X-Men have <laughs> always been weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I love weird Claremont X-Men. This is a buy it for me. Dave Cockrum is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's totally great. My first review is of Lois Lane, number one from DC Comics 1986. This is number one of a two-part limited series. The one-time, quote-unquote, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, gets another crack at a solo series, and it is a hell of a lot more serious than the Silver Age nonsense you may have seen before. This story is a ripped-from-the-headlines tale of Lois investigating the kidnapping and death of a small child during the peak of the Stranger Danger era. Uh, I think in the back matter they even mention Adam Walsh. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, this is a much different take on the character than what you might be familiar with. She's still a crusading reporter, but this is firmly set in the pre-crisis era. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths was still going at this time, but it was before the Superman reboot. Uh, so this was a time when Perry White had kind of backed off and he had delegated his role to different editorial staff at the Daily Planet. And they were not quite as enamored with uh, Lois's shenanigans. <laughs> the script by Mindy Newell, who has the distinction of being the first female writer of Wonder Woman, is a noirish delight, and it never fails to keep the reader engaged despite the lack of superpowered action. I was actually surprised by how much of a backseat Clark Kent takes in this story. He's he's on like three pages. Yeah, this is Lois's book, no question. And he's dating Lana Lang. It's clear that this subject was incredibly important to Newell. This is only slightly undercut by the excellent art by Gray Morrow, who never hesitates to get Lois undressed as often as he can. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lois Lane, number one, was an excellent read. 
about a serious issue and it remains topical even today. I'm giving it a buy it. I had never read it before now. I didn't even know this was a thing before you picked it. And yeah, I got to say this gray Moro guy like draws in this very classic, almost like newspaper comic strip. Exactly. It, it, it reminded me of like an old timey, uh, like Prince Valiant type stuff, right? Like almost. a serious newspaper comic strip art. Yeah, like it's really good. And a lot of the paneling is pretty like far ahead of its time where like you've got angled panels that are sort of pointing and guiding the action. Uh, and you stuff. know what? It felt a lot like a ro- like an o- like an old timey romance comic without the romance. Kind of. Yeah, I'll give you that. No, this was great. And I didn't know they were doing stuff like this sort of daring with the lowest character at this time. I was totally impressed. It gets a buy it from me. All right, you fucking pervert. Let's get down to brass tacks. <laughs> Look, we're going to talk about this. Yeah, we are. I read ElfQuest, Kings of the Broken Wheel, number one. This is from Warp Comics, 1990. Now, I didn't pick the first ElfQuest because I was sort of told this is kind of like just after ElfQuest had really hit its stride and was getting like crazy good. I got to say. A full 10 years after ElfQuest debuted, it hit its it stride. Ran- it ran for a long time, Joe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, I, I have only read maybe a couple ElfQuest comics. It never did it for me, and I was always kind of freaked out about how the elves looked like little sexy little kids and stuff. But I got to say, the art here was really good. It was just- Little kids are not sexy, Matt. I don't know how many times I have to tell you that. Maybe you're just looking at the wrong ugly little kids. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's fair. Wendy pa- Wendy Peeney has this very good animated, like classic sort of Rankin Bass style to her stuff that reminded me of like the old animated Hobbit movies and stuff. I mean, like this was really cool. Is She's that Rankin very- Bass? I thought Rankin Bass did the stop motion stuff. They did some of that too. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Wendy Peeney. She's also amazing at conveying emotion without like a single word. There's like this three panel thing where an elf is calling out this couple because you can tell he sort of knows that they're pregnant and they sort of know that they're pregnant, but no one's admitting it yet. And it really came off. Well, there's some great splash pages that look like those almost like those old like coloring posters you would get with super vivid markers where you would like color a unicorn and like a volcano in the background is it like a lisa frank poster yeah i mean like very 80s fantasy and there's some super cheesy fantasy dialogue here but i mean like that kind of comes with the territory uh i flagged some specifically because like i didn't really know what was going on and there's the leader, the guy that is addressing, you know, the group is like, look around you, new star from sun goes up. We wolf riders came and from white cold land where the palace of the high ones lies come the go backs from the desert. The sun folk rode to our aid and captured the enemy humans who tried to torch our whole. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not cheeseball. It definitely is. This is far and away the most like emo comic i have ever read (laughs) there's like a scene with some kind of magic elf woman trying to make a warrior cry while fairies are flying around his head i barely knew what was going on the whole thing looked like a blacklight painting and as weird as the dialogue in the world was i have to say i enjoyed this wendy and richard peeney 
obviously built a whole world and poured everything they could into these characters. I have given ElfQuest a lot of shit, and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong about ElfQuest. This was very creative, captured a very indie comic feel that you just don't get anymore or see in comics. As weird as this issue was, there's obviously a massive world that this husband and wife creative team built, and I kind of want to read more. I'm giving this a buy it. Okay. Did I read the wrong one? Is this the one where the guy has superpowers and he flies around going crazy? He's a wind rider. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's okay. One, he's one of the last wind riders. Yeah. That doesn't mean <laughs> anything to me. This is a number one issue and it is probably the least accessible comic book I have ever read. But this was also a number one issue that we were reading. I mean, like the way that they told the stories, they were absolutely continuing yeah. stories. Hey man. They were not interested. I don't care. They, then you label jump it. On, then you start with issue one, baby. Then label it Elf Quest three hundred. I don't. Th this was. I came into this thinking, okay, there's going to be some setup. There's going to be some exposition where I nope. learn about the tribe. Yeah, no, nope. nothing, <laughs> nothing. I could not keep any of the characters straight. I had no idea that Elf Quest had super powered characters. Well, I mean, there was always magic and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, he's magic a, is one thing, but this guy's like flying around and shooting laser bolts like Firestar. That's, that's part of his magic upbringing. Yeah, I. Ugh, this was such a slog for me. I know that ElfQuest ElfQuest is a long-running labor of love from yes. two beloved indie creators. It has its fans. I get it. I am not one of them. <laughs> I have never been happier. That I traded my Elf Quest comic on the bus in third grade for Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. See, you could have been sitting here right now going, screw Crisis on Infinite Earths. No. Elf Quest. No. <laughs> there is an alternate universe where Joe Patrick did not make that trade, and I guarantee you he is dead by now. <laughs> now he's at a Renaissance fair, and there's no pandemic, <laughs> and Trump is not president, oh, and the world oh, is a shit. better place. <laughs> uh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, the art is very good. I agree. Like Wendy Peeney was a very talented cartoonist. She drew the hell out of this. Um, but I cannot give this more than a skim it because I legitimately struggled with every page. You're a monster. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Patrick. <laughs> I'm sorry, Patrick Cavanaugh. I failed you. Next up. It's sensational. She Hulk. Number one from Marvel comics, 1989. One of my favorite covers of all time. Yes. I remember seeing the ads for this comic where She-Hulk threatens to come tear up my X-Men issues yep. uh, and being immediately intrigued because I had I knew that there had been a previous She-Hulk book in the uh, late 70s, but I had only ever read the character in the Avengers prior to this. Uh, I, I did not discover John Byrne's FF until later. I was going to say that's where I met her. Yeah. John Byrne's cheeky script is delightful. It's full of some of Marvel's stranger concepts. Uh, the issue opens with Shulky testing her strength by lifting elephants at a nearby circus like one does. Girls got to make a living. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it may be odd to say this about a comic book that immediately opens with the removal of the main character's agency <laughs> as she is immediately hypnotized by the ringmaster. But She-Hulk number one is really a celebration of the character's history and power. Uh, we get a nice little like recap of where she came from and how she got to be She-Hulk uh, and why she is now stuck permanently in that form. 
And while she is certainly used by the circus to commit crimes, the story never felt exploitative to me, and she quickly recovers to save the day. Now, I've been a fan of John Byrne's art for nearly my entire life, and he is at the peak of his abilities here, aided by the inks of Bob Wyasek, Wyacek, Wycheck, Wycheck, Wycheck. He's Polish. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah, and the excellent coloring of Glynis Oliver. Burns' run on this title is capital W weird, and it was from the very jump, from the fourth wall breaking to the celebration of Marvel's most bizarre characters, like the Circus of Crime and oh, yeah. the Headmen. Oh yeah, the goddamn Headmen. <laughs> Sensational She-Hulk is a joy to read. I'm giving issue number one a huge buy. It. It's so much fun. Yeah, I bought these off the stand as a kid, I think, because I thought She-Hulk was sexy, and I just fell in love with this series. It was so great. Like, Razorback shows up later on and yeah, shit. Yeah, Razorback <laughs> Razorback's like a main supporting character later on. God, this book is so fun. With that said, She-Hulk has never, ever had a good costume. Never. She's just wearing like a black onesie thing in this. Like I liked her when she wore the FF outfit, I guess, but yeah. that was just an FF. First outfit. of all, that's not true. Some of her costumes have been pretty good. Like which one? Like the purple and white one she wore during Dan Slott's run when she was oh. on like Jeff Johns's Avengers. It was that's a good fine. It's a it was fine. It's a good best. costume. Um, I would go on record and fight you on this one. This I believe is some of John Burns, not you specifically, but fight you listener. You jerk. This is some of John Burns finest work without a doubt. Uh, to me, the only thing that tops this is his run on the Superman reboot when he was inked by Terry Austin. That was also uh, very good. His, his, his X-Men work is very, very good, but yeah, he only definitely. got better with age. And by the time, by the time 1987 hit and he rebooted Superman, that's some of the best artwork I've ever seen. After uh, I read this, I went down to my collection to make sure I still had this full run and I was going to freak out if I didn't. <laughs> and I do. I love this book. Buy it for me as well. Uh, I did not remember until I looked at other issues in the series. I actually had, I owned an issue of this uh, as a, as a young lad. Uh, I think it was number eight or number 10. It is the first time I ever saw the artwork of Brian Hitch. Oh, really? Yeah. No kidding. Yep. Huh. Okay. My next review is of Inuyasha, Chapter 1, from Shogaku Kan, 1997. Uh, this was also printed in the United States as, like, a shonen edition, which, like, later became Shonen Jump yep. and stuff like that. Inuyasha is a huge, massive, very, very famous, legendary anime slash manga that I was aware of, but never really paid any attention to. And I've been told by several people, like, you would really like it. You should give it a read. I'm like, ah, schoolgirl, Fox thing. I don't know. I I was a little shocked, open it up and immediately see very adult language. <laughs> so I thought this was a kid's book. <laughs> uh, and now I forgot that these mangas at the time, the first like six or seven pages would be colored and then it would go to black and white. And yeah. the coloring is really good in this. The story opens in the past with this fox creature, main character, Inuyasha, getting shot by an arrow. But the shooter dies at the same time he dies and leaves this magic charm thing on Earth. 
right? Flash forward to 1997, we meet Kagomi and her grandfather in his charm shop. He just happens to have that same charm in the shop. She's got a cute little cat named Buyo and a little brother, Sauta. They go to find their lost cat sealed up in a well, but instead, Kagomi gets pulled in by a creature straight out of your worst Junji Ito nightmares. Yeah, I was not uh, I was not expecting that. It's like a pretty woman. Nope, she has shark teeth. Oh my god, she has a thousand arms. <laughs> yeah, she's got like a weird scorpion centipede body. Yeah, it was really gross. Kagami gets pulled back in time, possibly into a different reality. I'm not really sure because I only read the first issue, but it's very Narnia style where she finds Inuyasha and the adventure begins. Now, the creator, Rumiko Takahashi, is legendary for both her output and her drawing and writing abilities. Inuyasha is nothing short of stunning visually. I'm not a big manga guy but i really enjoyed this and i can see how readers could very easily get sucked into this feudal japanese fairy tale really great classic manga art with amazing detail on the backgrounds we pump up people that put out one issue a month with 23 pages where rumiko takahashi was putting out small phone books Every month. Yeah, it's uh, like crazy this. Crazy. Uh, what this output this, was. This chapter. This first chapter was thirty-four pages, I think. Uh, and there are almost eight hundred chapters. Yeah, well, and it was only broken up for the U.S. because right, that's how yeah, we yeah. read because they came out as graphic novels. It was part of a big, huge first book. So right. I'm giving this a buy it. I really thought it was fun. You know, I was gonna give it a skim it because it's it, like. I don't know what it is. I, I just couldn't really resonate with it. Um, like I, I I'm so well, used I'm, to I'm so used to American comics uh working hard to give you reasons to relate to the main character. Well, but keep in mind, like unlike ElfQuest, when they would say something like a Japanese word right under the panel, it would be like Yeah, no, That's it wasn't this. it wasn't the you language know, barrier. It wasn't the language barrier. Um I, I think it was the fact that it was chopped up. Uh, didn't do the story any favors, as opposed to being, like you said, in a in a larger volume. Oh, sure. Okay, I get uh, what you're saying there. So, yeah. you know, I read this and I was like, eh, I mean, I get it, but, like, why do I care about this girl? Like, I don't really know anything about her. I don't... But the display of artistry uh, is very apparent. Uh, uh, like you said, um, what's her name? Rumiko Takahashi is an incredible talent. Absolutely. And at, at first I just thought like, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the, the same typical doe-eyed manga, anime, whatever. And then that fucking <laughs> demon lady sprang out of the well. Yeah. And it's like, what? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> um, so I, I think that like with, with the caveat that this is much better experienced in something closer to the format that it was originally released in. I also think this is geared towards teenagers like japanese yeah maybe no, like that's middle fine. school teenagers you yeah know what I mean? no, and, and i get that i i just think that like with manga format is key yeah definitely um so with that said i'm gonna give this a buy it as well i i just don't think that i read it in a in a really great format fair enough joe patrick you're next i am Strangers in Paradise, number one, from Antarctic Press. This is from 1993. 
Terry Moore's legendary opus got its start in this three-issue miniseries from Antarctic, which was later reprinted under his own Abstract Studios banner a few years later, which is where I first read it. It's a tale as old as time. Francine and Cachu are best friends, hopelessly in love with one another, even if they don't both realize it yet. <laughs> Moore's poetic script is full of fully realized characters that feel like real human beings that you can actually relate to. Francine is stuck in a dead-end relationship with a sex-obsessed asshole and copes in unhealthy ways. Kachu is haunted by her shady past but is desperately trying to find happiness. And while it would only improve over time, Moore's phenomenal art is full of life, even back yeah. then in this first issue. He is a master at conveying emotion through his character's facial expressions. He draws women of all shapes and sizes with uh, measurements that actually exist in the real world instead of an idealized fantasy. Add in a compelling mystery tied to Kachu's criminal past, and Strangers in Paradise really becomes a compelling drama that you can't stop reading. Terry Moore's epic masterpiece is just as beautiful and poignant today as it was nearly 30 years ago. I'm giving it a huge buy it. It holds up, man. It's tremendous. I would argue that if you put this out today, there's not much here, other than the fact they don't have cell phones and shit. There really isn't much here to date this book at all. I think you might have to update some of the references, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, it really holds up. I forgot. This is not to say that his art was bad at this time. It was still fantastic, but I forgot how good he gets through this series right like, he started off at a very high level here already as far as storytelling and, and characters and it, world building but man he gets so much better as this goes on too and I, like, I think the i think the only real like it's not even a criticism i think the main contrast you could make between his art today and his art then is that back then uh he did have a tendency to kind of lean on uh cartoony reactions like there would be yeah there would be times where his characters would get those big bug eyes yeah you know and things like that but no this is a wonderful book a wonderful series it was fun to come back and read the first one again and it made me want to read the whole thing again huge buy it from me matt bomb take us on a trip to comics greatest world oh man back in 1993 Three, I think, is when we saw the specials start to come out that introduced Comics Greatest World. Yes, yes. When Dark Horse decided we need superheroes too, and we got X and Barbed Wire, and we got the Machine. Oh yeah, the Machine was great. I loved <laughs> the Machine. We also got Ghost. I am not reviewing the Ghost special because I want to talk about the artist on Ghost Number One that kicked off the ghost series from dark horse in 1995 this was the first time i had ever encountered the work of adam hughes as a penciler and i remember picking this up off the stands he leveled me even this young in his career hughes is just amazing and drew the hell out of this comic his pinup style was very much on display but he also had this very art deco sensibility to his backgrounds to the city that he drew the costumes the cars Hughes's ghost comic feels like it's set sort of like in Hollywood circa 1940, but they call the city Arcadia. It is gorgeous. Oh yeah. It's Go an art, it's an art deco nerds wet dream. It's definitely like, 
it's like Bioshock. <laughs> it's like the oh, city of yeah. Rapture from yeah. Bioshock above ground with ghosts. Ghost is the story of reporter Elsa Cameron, who was killed while investigating the shady side of Arcadia City and trying to rescue her sister from sort of the porn industry, I guess. She came back as a vigilante ghost, brandishing 245s and a very sexy costume. Eric Luke is the writer on the issue, and his script is very good. Ghost, Elisa, is trying to save her sister. She's pretending to be a naive, a naive hot girl swept up by this gangster guy in the beginning, but quickly proves she's way more than a victim and plays on men and her own good looks to get the information she needs. The ghost breaks up the pornography ring that's taking advantage of young women looking to be a star in Arcadia by having sex with mutants, I guess. <laughs> there was something genuinely mean and nasty about Dark Horse's superhero line at that time that just didn't exist in the big twos comics. Like they were dealing with real world stuff like underground pornography. Hughes only drew the first three issues of Ghost, but I stayed with the series until the end and loved it. There were other pencilers like Dougie Braithwaite that worked on this and a very young Ivan Rice as well. It was these first three issues that got me, though, and I loved revisiting this title. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, you know, I had never read this before. I remember, I definitely remember, you know, Wizard Magazine hyping the debut of Comics mm. Greatest World. I bought them all. I bought <laughs> all of them. Uh, and, uh, like, I remember seeing, you know, images from it. I remember Adam Hughes. Uh, it's weird that he did not also draw the first appearance. Do you know who drew the first appearance? Uh... I can't remember. No, but like it's, it's the, those specials came out and like, I think they were testing the waters. Yeah. It was like a full year ahead of time. And literally it, a year later, they launched comics greatest world with all these different the ongoings. Yeah. Titles. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is was definitely it? a nineties product. You know, nothing says empowered female superhero, like a costume that has her tits on full display. <laughs> Well, she's got uh, great big boobs. What is she supposed yeah, to yeah. do, Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I saw Adam Hughes's art for the first time when he took over for, uh, he took over from, uh, why can't I say his name? Oh, Kevin Maguire. He took oh, over okay. Justice League. Yeah. Justice League America from Kevin Maguire during the late 80s. And, you know, he was still good back then, but this was like, oh, this is Adam Hughes. Oh, like yeah. I looked at this and went, oh, I get it. I, yeah, this is him. I, I recognize him completely. Um, the art is phenomenal. Uh, and you're totally right about the tone. It's gritty. Like she phases a dude into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, and they even talk about how she's like so full of rage and she like shoots a guy in the eyeball. Like it's, well, it's that's brutal. why she's back. It was like her rage brought her back from the dead. Is yeah, what we yeah. learned in the, in the special, which drawn by Matt Haley, Eric Luke was the writer. Matt Haley. Oh, Matt not, Haley. Not, not the same caliber of artist, but I will say ghost boobs, much smaller on that book. <laughs> okay. I yeah. mean, I do like my Matt Haley, but he's definitely not the name that Adam Hughes would become. No. Um, yeah. I, I liked this a lot. Uh, I was kind of surprised by how serious it was. Uh, but yeah, I'm giving it a buy it as well. Uh, I will say one thing about the design of the book. Um, they chose such a, stylized art deco font for the recap pages that it is almost impossible to read. Yeah. <laughs> when I was looking, I was like, who wrote this? I was like, what does that say? Eric Luke. Eric Luke. Got it. Um, but yeah, this was really great. And uh, 
you know, I'd read more of this. I'm giving it a buy it. Joe Patrick, last one. Go for it. Last one. All right. It is Birds of Prey number 57. No, I'm sorry. That's wrong. It's Birds of Prey number 56 from DC Comics 2003. Birds of Prey was already a big hit when this issue came out, uh, just following a long run by Chuck Dixon. I know this isn't the first time I encountered Gail Simone's writing, but I had kind of fallen off of Deadpool by the time she took over. This reminded me, though, that Gail Simone has always been great. Oh, <laughs> She's yeah. got a real knack for dialogue, and her script reinforces the strong bond of friendship between Black Canary and Oracle. Like, if you look back at the early issues of Birds of Prey, especially the one-shots and the minis that came before the ongoing, Black Canary was like an employee of Oracle. Mm -hmm. And uh, their relationship blossomed over time, and here they are like best friends. Yeah, it's cute. They're definitely besties. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, though I think he's really talented... DC could not have picked a worse artist for this run. Than I was Ed wondering you're going to get to this part. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I think that he is a great artist, but yeah. his style leans way too much on cheesecake. Oh yeah. Ed Benny's. Now here's the other thing though. You have to, I have a feeling that DC was like, if we're going to get dudes to read a book yeah, full of look, girls, I, I'm not and saying year. It was 2003, you know, they're like, they got to be sexy. They got to be sexy. Now, here's the thing that kind of throws me off, though. I get it if you're going to draw Black Canary with big boobs. She's been drawing big boobs before. Fine. How many crotch shots do we really need in one comic? The art <laughs> the art focuses so heavily on Black Canary's physical assets. I am looking uh, at three crotch shots on one page. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, like, it's it's one thing. The next page, two butt shots. <laughs> yes, right. It's one thing for Canary to use her body to her advantage. Uh, sure. Like she does at the beginning to tempt the uh, Birdie Madoff stand-in. But Benes's layouts are so full of ass and upskirt shots that it oh, is yeah. distracting. Still, I had a great time revisiting this issue, especially knowing what Simone had in store for the future. Uh, some of the characters that are introduced here are present through her entire run. I'm giving Birds of Prey 56 a buy it. The art is good. Yes, it's it's way too it's way too sexy time, but it's still <laughs> I love a, this run. It's a good comic. I love this run so much. And I think it took going back and like looking and really looking at it to be like, wait a minute. This was super pervy. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even notice back in the day because this is what comics kind of looked like. Yeah, this is I, I mean, how you drew women. You like know? you said, I mean, I, at the it time. was 2003 and this was yeah. like, we, we had boob windows and, oh, yeah. you know, thong costumes galore. Like now, I the thing that gets me though, is he doesn't sex up Babs. Like she's pretty, yeah. but Babs is not stacked. She's wearing like a sweater. She's wearing right. pants. She looks like a human like, person. And I looked at the next few issues, even like the next issue, Huntress shows up and Huntress is way chesty and way crotchy. Yeah, <laughs> the whole yeah, time. Yeah, and again, like Babs just kind of looks like nerdy Batgirl. So it's like yeah. you made a choice to draw one real woman with these porn stars, basically. Like, <laughs> we know that you can do it because right. you did it. 
<laughs> you did it with this character. Why can't you right. do it with all the other characters? And I don't know if that is Ed Bennett's fault or they were like, sexier. We want it sexier. Sexier. Yeah, Maybe I not the know. handicapped girl, though. Don't fuck with the yeah, handicapped Yeah, yeah, no, Nobody thinks that. <laughs> uh, like, I remember, like, I have always been able to picture the cover to this issue in my head, but when I looked at it again for the first time in years uh, today, I was like, oh, my God. Her boobs are tennis balls that are positioned immediately underneath her chin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what that is, that is not human anatomy. It's not her fault that she's sexy, Joe. Okay. You know what? I shouldn't shame her. You know what? I don't, we don't body shame on this podcast. That's right. That's right. Shoot. Those are your ladies' night theme spotlight reviews for this week. And shoot is the sound of Stephanie Brown. Nope. And shoot is the sound of Stephanie, don't call me spoiler, Brown, parachuting to safety as seen in the pages of Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl number 12. Yeah, that's right. She graduated to the big leagues. For a minute there. For a minute. <laughs> this onomatopoeia of the then, week. Then, as I recall, she started a gang war. <laughs> no, that was that was earlier. Uh, that was earlier. Oh, you're right. That that was before this. That's she right. was she was she started a gang war, and then Leslie yep. Tompkins helped her fake her death. Yep, it was a whole thing. And then she came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount via Facebook. If you'd like to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or even better, call us and make the noise with your mouth. Yeah! Tell us where it came from and we'll play it on the show. Now we've embraced our feminine side, it's time to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Ladies night and... We're going to shake the magic eight ball of Marduk to reveal the theme for next week's reviews. It looks like next week we're going to be reviewing anthropomorphic comics. That's right. Talking animals. Beasts that walk like humans. I've already forbidden Matt from reviewing Omaha the Cat Dancer. <laughs> what is the law? We will walk on two legs instead of four. What is the law? He who breaks the law goes back to the house of pain. <laughs> <laughs> the Isle of Dr. Moreau, man. I'll never forget that shit. Oh, no, I'm super excited. So, yeah, I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Cowboys of Moo Mesa, you know. Captain, Captain Carrot. Carrot. Let's get Hell into yeah, it. Hell yeah, Captain Carrot. <laughs> Stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter to see which issues we'll be reading, and you can play along at home. Now, Joe Patrick, let's peer into the Cursed Miracathon, see what the completely random trade that has nothing to do with our theme whatsoever for this week is. Yeah, it just so happened that the uh, Cursed Mirror chose Strangers in Paradise Pocket Edition Trade Paperback Volume 1 from Abstract Studios, written and drawn by Terry Moore. It's 1,344 pages. Holy day. $17.95. Here's your solicit. This SIP pocket trade paperback is small, affordable, and collects the entire first two volumes of SIP into one continuous 340-page story. David loves Kachu, but Kachu loves Francine, who loves Kachu back, but not that way, because Francine loves Freddy, who doesn't love anybody but himself. All of which was demonstrated in the first issue of Strangers in Paradise. It's which true, we reviewed and this they week. also like kind of blow that whole thing out of the water real fast. Too. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Each pocket book features new cover art by Terry Moore and special spine art 
that gives this manga-sized collection a distinctive look on the shelf. It's true. I own them all. I love when they do that shit. Yeah, matching spines. I am a yeah, sucker man. for it. So cool. Go and buy this from your comic shop, you guys. It is in stock at Diamond right now. Order it. Have them send it to you. Have them throw it out the front door. And then you just, like, throw the money back at them. Whatever. But your comic shop needs your help. Go get it. Speaking of comic shops that need your help, I am sure that you heard at the beginning of the show... But we have a mystery donor that is donating 500 smackaroons to Legend Comics and Coffee to help out with their downtime during the COVID crisis. They're also matching your donation to your local comic shop up to another $500. That's a total, for you math uh, deficient, of $1,000. I'm going to have to check that. Yeah, it's true. So give till it hurts and send us your donation receipt. All we need is a receipt showing, hey, I donated to Acme Comics in Paducah, Ohio. I don't know if that's where Paducah is. Is there a Paducah? I don't know. <laughs> it's a Paducah, Kansas, I think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it could not be more easy. And it doesn't have to be like five bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks. We're not talking sure. about we're not talking about purchases. We're talking about donations. So yeah. send us your receipts and our donor will match whatever you give to Legend Comics and Coffee. This week, Matt sat down with Legend co-owner Dave DeMarco for our Gotcha Questions segment to talk about comic shop life during the pandemic. Take it away, boys. David DeMarco, welcome back to The Ziggurat. It has been a minute since you've been here. It has been a while. Yeah. Happy to be back, though. It's Always happy. On really shitty, you know, terms, but you are back. <laughs> that, is, that is true. I am, I am healthy, but you know, isolated, but that's okay. We're here to talk about the fact that you are a perfectly intelligent college educated man who decided to buy a comic book store. <laughs> and then there was a global pandemic that came and shut down comic book stores. How are things going at legend comics and coffee? Um, I mean, so they are ostensibly going okay, given the situation, right? So diamond ceased sending comics for a while. And that, that so helps, that was right? That's a good thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's interesting because it's like you imagine what would happen if grocery stores didn't get any supplies for a while, but sure. you know, they, people would be buying soup, you know, you have your dry goods. So I guess our dry goods are like back issues and trades that right. people still are catching up on. People also so don't working, eat comic books. So <laughs> comic books are not a necessity. We had that little dip obviously when nobody was really open or anything. And so what we've been doing is, um, in lieu of actually having like staff in the shop and, you know, helping customers, we've had people offsite going through that large collection that we have and then helping us find things that are valuable that we can then sell online for the time being. That's really smart. That's great. Yeah. So we are, we are still paying people. We wanted to make sure that anyone who wanted to continue working could work. And in a, an environment like our comic books are now in a warehouse that is not used. So it's like, Basically, you're self-isolation at the warehouse. Nobody's coming in. Right. It's just you and the comics. And so it just, you know, it is what it is. I find it kind of relaxing to go there and just go through old boxes and just pull out stuff. Were you able to qualify for the, like, uh, paycheck insurance and stuff like that? We did, yeah. Good. So Good. What, so we, that just came through not, I think, three days ago. We got the official confirmation. The money just showed up in the bank today. And so our plan is... Again, like going forward, we're going to have any people who want to come back on 
um, whatever they want to do. We have, I think about, I think it's eight weeks worth of however many employees working a full, you know, 40 hours. That's great. We can pay them. So, but now some people may wish to stay on unemployment because after that eight weeks, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, so if that's the case, then we have to, we'll have to give some of that money back, which is fine. You guys are also in a position where you have a drive-through window. So it's a little different. You can still do some business. Yes. Yes. And we, we've been doing that. Our coffee sales are fine. Good. Um, and then people call ahead and if they have a pull file, they just want whatever's in their pull. Sure. And usually what that means now, since we're not getting anything new is they've been requesting back issues. So cool. we get emails all day and people are asking for like, do you have, I don't know. X-Men 104 to 108. You know, I'm just right. trying to fill in some gaps. And we look, and if we do, we, you know, do it up, put them in the back of the drive-thru window, and they get a receipt, and they come in. They usually order a coffee to, to get, do that. Some customers have offered to help pay for other people's pull files. That's awesome. They have the, this, it, yeah, it's this whole thing of, like, the pay it forward where, you know, sometimes pull file customers get, you know, backed up or they're delinquent. Sure, sure. And so it's a way of them, you know, kind of helping even it out. And certainly I don't expect, look, I understand. I'm not, if somebody hasn't been in in a couple of weeks to get their pull file, I understand. Like yeah. it is fine. We are not angry or anything like that. Um, and so, and if you can't look, I get it. This, I don't know what will happen in all of this. It's, it's, I mean, to my understanding, this has not happened since 1918, right? This is a new situation. As far as I situation. know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't remember 1918 really well, but I remember it was bad. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, the, to have the entire country shut down like this over disease is for my lifetime unprecedented. And I know my mom never had to go any, go through anything like this and she was born in 39. So a uh, hundred years of, yeah, I know we don't have to shut down. Right. Maybe there were times we should have like H1N1 or swine flu, but we didn't. And you know, Hey, well, that was but all Obama's is, fault though. He dropped the ball on that. So. Right. Yeah. He dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we're all dead. We're yeah. All yeah. Yeah. Stop. That's why I died. I remember dying, you know? <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, so, so we've got that going, the, the, going through the collection, we do have people working at the shop, you know, like one, one person coffee side, one person comic side to be able to run back issues to the thing or to sell coffee. Um, and then Wendy and I are kind of doing our thing. Like I'm going through, uh, books in the collection or I'll show up there to help. She'll be doing like magic cards and doing things online. Right. And traditionally we don't like to sell stuff online. We, we like the idea of if you have a, a valuable comic book and you sell it to somebody in town, then it's still in town probably. And it remains and, and it maybe comes back to you and right. you sell it again. Sure. But if you, if you ship it off eBay somewhere, then it's just gone. You got the money, but it's gone. Right. Um, and so our philosophy was never to want to do that, but this, we're going to make an exception. Well, we need to have some more money coming in, et cetera. Have you seen any kind of like uptick in, I mean, obviously you said you didn't like to do as much online sales, but as far as even like people locally, reaching out and saying like, all right, yeah, I'm looking for X-Men 108 through 112 or whatever. Have you seen any uptick um, in that? Like, it, do you think that people are reaching out to try and help like buying, you know, I normal or I don't think so. It's certainly, I mean, it's more hands-on now. Like I know when people are looking for back issues because they call and I have to find them. Right. But I'm sure that it's probably equivalent to like before when somebody would just come in and They'd wander around and then come up to the counter and I'd just be like, yep, find some comics. Sure. And it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, sink in that it's, oh yeah, that's the same thing. Right. Um, but it's, but again, comic books are, are the first ballast that would go in a, in the case of an emergency, well, right? I understand. Of course. So, and if somebody, I mean, and honestly, if somebody wants to, to help, 
I, you don't need to buy comics from me to help. Like there are other better things to do. I promise like we should be able to weather this storm. The fact that people do buy comics still, if I see somebody in the drive through buying comic books and then instead of like, you know, I don't know, buying bottled water or right. whatever else they can yeah. buy, then I'm, I'm thrilled and it makes me very happy, but I certainly would never want anyone to like, like we, we are not nurses or anything like that. We're just a comic store, right? just hanging on, trying to do what we can. And, you know, worst case scenario, we may, if I don't think we have to, like, it's not gotten to that point, but if we have to do kind of like close for a couple of like maybe two months and then just have to eat the rent for a while, like, but then you cut down utilities and all that kind of stuff. Sure. We, ha- we can do that and then just sort of wait it out. And in that time, we would just focus solely on the collection. And then by that point, when we open up again, we have a whole new like back wall and, you know, fifty hundred dollar back issues that we didn't yeah. know we had that are all priced ready to go. Yeah. And so it's like you you put the brakes on a little bit, but then you, you know, you just you just wait. You're you have a grand sure. reopening or whatever. Yeah, we would, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, just some sort we'd actually I think leaning towards like a when all of this is for real settled down, when there's a vaccine, whatever, I am thrilled to have just like a big grand reopening celebration. People can come in, you know, you don't yeah. wear masks. We'll all kiss each other. Yeah, full on, because we don't have to worry about it anymore. Woo. <laughs> yeah. So with DC and Marvel talking about starting to uh, send out new comics again, have you guys talked about any type of schedule or reopening plan, or are you just playing it cool for now? Well, we so we've been getting the, the DC stuff has started coming. So that started last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it was just we it was just sort of business as usual. We, we took anyone who had a profile that had DC stuff on it and we put it away and had it out there. And if they called, we would it was ready to go. This wasn't through um, Diamond, so, though. This is through like the weird side distributors. This is through uh, Lunar Lunar Distribution, okay. which is interesting. I mean, this is this is really the meat of the thing for like the how the sausage is made. The the exclusivity contract with diamond has been broken. Yeah. Like DC broken. We talked and about that on the show. Like how yeah. is diamond not going to sue their pants off? There's no way they can, because this is like, ironically. So here's, I guess here's how I would look at it in this world that we live in, you know, like the big company does something wrong. It dumps poison in the environment, right. you know? And then the little guys like, I sue you. And like, no, we got all the lawyers. We got everything. Diamond, while a giant to me, the small comic book store, is a tiny little nothing to Warner Brothers, AT&T, and right. DC Comics. Right. So in this regard, their role is reversed. I could never sue Diamond to, to get some sort of satisfaction. Of course. Because I don't, I'm not powerful enough. Diamond, conversely, cannot possibly sue DC and Time Warner sure. and AT&T. Because what, who are you? We, we, yeah, we, we pay your fine, right. whatever. Like, oh, look, over. You, oh, you made a little tiny complaint. Oh, it's so yep. cute. Oh, did you guys and do so, this yourself? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> right? hey, hey, hey. I think the fact that it didn't happen already is just because there was no problem. Right. Like, yeah, fine, Diamond can do whatever they want to. You know, it, it, it didn't matter. And this is um, not me defending Diamond, by the way. I think they should burn Diamond to the ground. But I, I, you know, at the same it, time, I, I do think it's kind of shifty and shitty that DC is going through some of these online retailers to get comics to people and giving them information and access to those customers in some senses. It doesn't sound like it's always happening, but. Right. I mean, the idea of like, 
yeah, like, oh, this store in you know, Omaha, my store, ordered 100 copies of this one thing. That's interesting, right? It's it's data that they could use. I mean, really be like a grocery store ordering food through Amazon. Right. You know, and like, Or why? not just that, or Amazon turning to the people that bought the food from the grocery store and going, hey, you want a bigger discount than you get at the grocery store? Right. That's true. Yeah. You know, that's the scary part. And they may... Like that may happen. I don't know. I, I, I've thought about this like from a philosophical standpoint and it's more, I think about like Blockbuster, you know, and Blockbuster is like. I'm way too childhood. young to know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of like Blockbuster rented movies to people and you had a VCR and this is what you did. And then Netflix came along and that just went away. Yeah. And Blockbuster didn't change or didn't do anything with the, you know, with the times. They just sort of shriveled up and died. Nobody is entitled to do things the way they've always been done. If something changes, then it changes. If I get caught up in that, that's, you know, it is what it is. That being said, thankfully, we're not Legend Comics and that's it. We are Legend Comics and coffee. And so from there, you know, maybe we switch over to a gaming format. Maybe we turn into a lounge and a bookstore. Right. There's plenty of like, with all the talk of Barnes and Nobles and online booksellers and all that, it's the independent little bookstores that have seen the greatest success in the last couple of years. Right. Same with like the music stores that specialize in vinyl because they were like, we don't worry about CDs. We've got these things that are big physical pieces of media that people still want, you know? Right. And I think comic books are like that because vinyl, like vinyl is what, if you are a fan of music and want to collect music, vinyl is the way to do it. Yeah. It's the only way. Right. Yeah. CDs are, they're not collectible. They're just a way of having it. Right. Digital downloads are not, you're not collecting anything. So comic books are the same way you, that is your big art piece. It's a, it's an artifact. It might be worth something someday, et cetera. And, and even if it isn't, it's still the story that you like. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you talking about it. And uh, like I said, we are running this campaign right now. If you guys donate to your comic shop, send us proof of that with you know proof of address so we can prove it's a real comic shop and our mystery donor is going to match your donations up to five hundred dollars to help legend comics out so dave thanks a lot coming on and thank you so much good to talk to you not only a good comic shop owner you're a good friend buddy oh well thank you back at you minus the owner yeah i gotcha (laughs) yeah i don't know (laughs) shit (laughs) excelsior That is it for THN 573. And next week, Joey, we might have to go back on some of that furry hate that I have been uh, kicking out there into the internet. Until such time, give these nerds a new question of the week. I still think they're perverts. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) This week's question was submitted by Lord Stephen Fino, the THN Master of Coin. My university just canceled all in-person classes for the semester. Obviously, this came out a little while ago. Cons are getting canceled everywhere, and Broadway just got shut down. So, in honor of the current pandemic, what is your favorite fictional disease? Love this. I love this fucking question. It's so good. Uh, Now, there's only one answer. I'm not going to spoil it, but there is one answer that I'll accept. We have been uh, we've been up and running again for a while, and so we have gone through several questions of the week. So it would be nice to fire up the question of the of the week suggestion machine so get to the forums call in yeah call in and ask it get to the forums uh send it to us by email post it on facebook whatever you know how to reach us 
And uh, watch our Facebook and Twitter because we post other questions. We want you yeah, to yeah, respond to Yeah, yeah, bonus questions, well. bonus questions. Uh, now, you have, you may have noticed that we are posting those questions on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so call 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We are asking that you keep it to two and a half minutes or less to share the air. We will, and this is our guarantee, make you internet famous. That's right. If you're new to the show and you can't believe we would talk smack about a perfectly good crotch shot, then I promise you, you just haven't heard enough. We used to be super sexist back in our old episodes. Go check those out, all right? Before the reboot. And you can, yeah, you can find them all in our digital long box over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Michael Richard, who smashed our old donate button in a big way this week. It, he, it, in fact, it hadn't been pushed in a long time. So it was like a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. And when he pushed it, it like rumbled a little bit. And then he really leaned on it, and it made a loud noise. And then a bunch of dust blew out in his face, and it went down. It yeah, was crazy. Like, I think he had to push it. <laughs> I think he had to push it so hard to get it to go down that he ended yeah. up giving more than he intended. And unfortunately, a bunch of poison arrows flew out and killed him. After. Yeah, R.I.P. Michael. Real sorry. That's on us. Yeah, and we know, apologize. That's on it, us. When you when you <laughs> move into an ancient temple, there's only so much yeah, you can do. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary writer Martin Pasco, who passed away this week at age 65. He's primarily known for his work at DC. Uh, he enjoyed classic runs on Superman, Action Comics, Saga of the Swamp Thing, and Justice League of America. Here's the fun thing. In addition to comics, Pasco had a long career in television where he wrote on shows like Batman the Animated Series. I did not know that. He even co-wrote Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Wow. He wrote for Cheers, Roseanne, Thundar the Barbarian. Goddamn. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Word to you, Marty. R.I.P. The guy is not... I, I, I would say that he's not a household name among uh, younger fans, but... His work in the 70s and 80s is legendary. He sort of lived my best, like, fan life. <laughs> like, I would love to write any of that shit, except one. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might make you write for Roseanne now. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Oh, Roseanne was a groundbreaking show at the time. Joss yeah. Whedon wrote for it. Yeah, well, she's had some problems lately. I don't yeah. know if you've heard. They <laughs> killed her and kept the show going without her. Her problems were so big, they had to kill her on the show, Joe. <laughs> they took a gun out back and shot Roseanne. For the better of all of us, that is. R.I.P. Roseanne.